Our scripture reading this morning is from Nehemiah chapter 4. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God, and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, We all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central. Thank you. And um, hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving and um, got to do some eating and some hanging out and some high debt and watching. Um, she waved at me. It was sorry, um, and uh, got some good football in, and um, 
yesterday I discovered my favorite meal is turnovers. Um, if you didn't get that, too bad. Um, and uh, I think Caleb uh, Chittister, I'm sorry he's not here today, he told me that as a pastor who liked college football, I need to say, go Duke. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this, and it's not even January yet. Um, and there's no hardwood floor involved. Um, but I wanted to make sure I supported Caleb in that way. Go Duke. Um, please tell him I said that if y'all heard that Pastor Brown. He's like, Pastor Brown, when you preach, you have to mention Duke. Okay. And uh, we're going to get to the Word of God. Um, so we continued our sermon series in the book of Nehemiah. Let me give you some definitions. The Urban Dictionary defines ride or die as to be down with your husband or wife no matter what through it all the good and bad. That's my ride or die husband for life. Conjunction of the phrases ride it out and die trying. In other words, you're down for whatever even if it kills you. This is my girl and I'll ride or die with her. The people in your life who are there through thick and thin, they'll do what it, what it takes to make it through with you. The ones that stick it out through till the end. We've been through a lot. She's truly my ride or die. A way of life defined by the ability to do anything necessary to live. Also the willingness to do anything as long as some people are down to do it with you. I'm not suggesting this. This is just the example they gave me. The cops are at the door. It's time to bust through the garage door with the caddy. Homie, it's ride or die. <laughs> ride or die. When you love someone so much that you're willing to do anything for, the, for you, even if it kills you, just because they mean that much to you, friends and husband and fi- wife and family, you're my ride or die. I'm always going to be here for you. Someone who is always by your side and will never leave. They have your back no matter what. They would do anything for you and will fight for you. They will go through hell and back together. My best friend is my ride or die girl. My man is my ride or die, as in a ride or die chick. Ride or die when it comes to Christianity is what church folks might describe as being steadfast, immovable, by any means necessary, the gospel, enduring hardship, spiritual warfare, being a soldier in the army of the Lord, onward Christian soldiers, forward in the battle, see his banner grow kind of faith. In the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, these Israelites exhibited that ride or die faith. Committed to in rebuilding, repairing the walls around the holy city, and in doing so, by extension, their spiritual and religious lives, these believers in God began to face some threats to their attempts to rebuild. The Bible tells us that they were pressed by their neighbors around them, namely Sanvalad, the Samaritan, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and with them a group referred to in verse 7 as the Arabs and another gang called the Ashdodites. This forced the Israelites, if they were going to be faithful to God, to have a ride-or-die faith, to first know their enemy, secondly, live life with burdens, and finally, accept that the battle is the Lord's. 
The Bible says this in verse 7. If we want to read it again, please. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And just so you know what is geographically being said here, Sanballat's group were from Samaria, were from the north, they were from the north. Tobiah's Ammonite group were concentrated in the east. The Arab group was from the south, and then the Ashadites, you guessed it, were from the west. What I want you to see and know is that enemies of and opposition to people and the work of God can come from anywhere. In any sector of life, any kind of person, any area of, or interest, whether financial, vocational, religious, social, emotional, family, or ethnic, your adversary opposition can come from your family members, from spiritual and supernatural religious entities, institutions and leaders, from books and any and every kind of media. There is some message or attempt at opposition. And though opposition comes from all over, there are some common threads. This passage teaches that enemies of the faith want to discourage you about your burdens, and then they want to discourage you about the Lord's work. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and, and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it uh, for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Then look with me at verse 8. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And then one more, verse 11. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop them. And stop the work. Now, I want you to understand the nature of this opposition. They're not creating any new hardship or burdens for God's people at work in community. In fact, the threat of war on them is just that, a threat of war. Talk about war against them. It would have been politically dangerous, and the leaders and, 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 and elders of the people and tribes that Sanballat and Tobiah were going around talking to would have not declared war upon a group backed by the king's edict so easily. Their whole goal was to frustrate and make God's people focus on and become frustrated by the brokenness and hardship and burden involved with the call that God had given them. Their enemies were, were simply pointing out how, how bad things were to discourage them from, from, from seeking to repair and, and bring redemption of what was broken. They were hoping to create confusion and fear of the unknown and unconfirmed. Yet, yet the, the adversaries of God's people really had no power or ability to add to the actual burden God's people faced. But get this, they could not change the burden that God called for his people to be a part of. They were simply trying to make it harder so that people to accept and, and face and to just add more mental and emotional strain to them. And if that kind of discouragement worked, it would accomplish what our enemies really were doing, discouraging God's people about the Lord's work in and through them. Look again at verse 1. Now, Sambalot heard 
when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry, greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And then again, let's look at verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. It was the work of the wall that they hated. They were opposed to the people of God personally and corporately because they actually hated what the Lord told and called his people to do. Whether it was protect their personal interests and whether they clearly saw it or not, they were ultimately opposed to an angry ad and declaring war, albeit talk of war, on God's people's obedience to the word and work of God. They hated that God was getting glory and obedience from his people, and that was affecting their bottom line in some way. These enemies would have left them alone if they were just being and doing selfish work. If they were just trying to seek their own prosperity. If they were just trying to get ahead on their own. In fact, if the tribes turned to self-interest, that would have actually benefited, benefited Sanballat and Tobiah. And they would have left them alone and encouraged them. Do you and I recognize what it means to be an active, alive to the Lord believer on earth? It means that God has committed us, has committed us and each other to being used to repair what is broken. Believers and Christians are to go to the insecure and irreparable places and people to join our lives to things that are bound to be a struggle, things that are burned, things that are rubbish, folk who are poor in some area, to being um, committed to our marriages and, and redeeming broken relationships between men and women, to going to work in companies and places that are rough and, and will make you feel alone and insecure, to, to live in a world and, and a way for God to be sent where you feel like it is unfair or too much or too hard for normal people. Some of you are called to places and communities, and even churches, where as you look at your neighbors and people around you, you will struggle uphill against feeling left out and mistreated and discontent. Because you are building a wall of faith in a world that does not believe in it. You are called to enter the darkness. That is the mission of God in our lives, in this church, and in this world. And your enemy wants to ironically use that to make you think that God wouldn't do that. Yet it's the definition of the gospel that we go and God has gone where there is sin and sinful people and sin-affected sin places. And the enemy says that, that God's work is only dark and unsuccessful and that God's work is unfair and not working well. That what God has called you to, it's not working for your advantage. It'll always, your enemies will always point to, to how obedience, to, to how uh, loving each other, uh, sacrificially, it's just hurting you. It's just causing more pain and struggle in your life. And God's work is just plain hard and long and rough and tedious. And that, that can't possibly be what a good relationship with God is about. So stop it. Your enemy will tell you to stop going to church where you have to take risk and it's hard to schedule to be part of this or that, to, to stop helping this person or to stop teaching at that hard school or to stop giving sacrificially. 
And just like it is basically a lie that Sanballat and Tobiah were actually going to or had the power to bring war against Israel, the enemy, whether the devil or sin or this world, will lie to you about you and others and especially what God is doing. The enemy wants to get you alone and make havoc of your thoughts and feelings. You know what it'll tell you? That being a believer should mean easy. And always getting blessings. And always having friendships the way you always imagined. And beating the sin you're struggling with right now. Or having a boyfriend or a husband or a wife by now. Or having this kind of husband and wife and family or job. Or in a church like ours feeling more at home all the time. That God just wants you to be happy. That no way he intended us for, for us to be like this in order to be a part of his work. No way the church should go through these kind of situations if it were real work that God would have me be a part of. It would not be this hard or disheartening. That, that Look at everyone else. They're not having it as hard as I am. God must not be working with me. We start to believe crazy things. I need to get this kind of Christian help book on success. I need to find a miracle healer. I need to find a silver bullet that's going to fix this problem. I need to find the kind of church and people where I can just get every single box checked off for my family, where there's no struggle. It's like the mall. If I could just go to the mountain and just take a break from God's calling me as a member of this body, the church should go back to my old ways. This can't be God. And yet it may be the lies of the enemy substantiated by the reality of your feeling and current situation. Yes, your life is broken. Yes. The situation God has called you in is a lot. There's a lot of rubbish. Yes, it's hard work. Yes, it looks impossible. But your enemy will point that out and say, that means that what you are doing and who God is cannot be true. And here's what, Rub, y'all. The enemy wants you to get out of hardship and from under your burden. That's impossible, it seems, to resist. You know what? It shouldn't be that hard. I want to free you. I want you to, to be happy with life. I want you to have all the desires and pleasures you ever want. I want you to, to be risk-free, right? I, I just want you to, to benefit. And this is what the enemies are saying. I mean, these surrounding communities would provide all kind of economic uh, a good, goodness to the is Israelite community if they would just not build the wall and we can do our trade and we can do things the way we want and we can have a political situation, then it would benefit y'all. Why? would you burden yourself building this wall when you really don't have to? And if you don't build it, it'll actually be more prosperous for you. And by calling you and even discouraging us away from that stuff to try to find an easier faith, an easier way to have God to do his will and get what you want, what they're doing is calling you away from what is necessary to be who God wants you to be. In fact, look what happens if you look with me at verse 10. 
In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. I'm going to keep going. And all, and all our, and our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop them. And, and at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. The pressure of the enemy is getting to the wall builders, and then people from their hometowns are coming up to Jerusalem and telling them, come back home. Stop doing this crazy, holy rolling. This is way too much burden wall coming. They, they knew that if they could convince their friends and family to stop building the wall, it might avert, avert war and death and stop them living in the foolish drama of this impossible wall under the leadership of a crazed cupbearer, Nehemiah. You see, part of being in a ride-or-die faith, like Christianity, is being willing to accept the burdens of life that go along with our calling while also bearing each other's burdens. Look at what the enemies say in verse 2 again. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burns, burn ones at that? And then verse 4 and 6 is the prayer. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let, their, and, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now, we're going to come back to this in a bit. But do you know why they sought God after being taunted? Because they believed that all the burden that went with building the wall that they were being taunted by was their calling. Th that burden and hardship was, was part of what it meant to be a wall builder. And for some, it meant the burden of picking up rubble, and for others, to build a wall that was not there. And for others, it meant the burden was sh the sheer length of the wall they had to build and they had to fix. But here is the point. They embraced and accepted the burdens that went with being God's people as part of the calling God had given them. God had called them to be wall builders, to be his people at this time in this history of his redemption. And so get this, God called them to this burden. And then look how they responded here. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half held the spears and shields, bows and, bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. And each of the builders had his own sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us here. God, our God will fight for us. And so we labored at the work and half of them held the spears and from the break of dawn until the stars came out. They didn't run. They didn't move on to a better calling. They didn't abandon the calling in the life that God had put them in. They dug in. This is so hard for us to hear. Because one thing about being an American, one thing it, 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 your goal is, is to be able to move when you want to, to, to not have to dig in. 
And these folk dug in and they, and they found a way to stay faithful to and to address the hardships and attacks. So the ones who had to carry the rubble, the Bible says, had a weapon in one hand. You know what the Hebrew word for that weapon is? It's a missile, right? So what they did is they would, you know, you had these, the rubble here, the stones on the ground that needed to be picked up, and they would put them on their back or carry them in a, in a, in a satchel or something like that. But the Bible is saying they would actually take one of those rocks off the pile and have it in their hand. The missile was a stone that could easily be launched. And then it talks about the people who ha- had, had the swords on their side. And, and remember now, this meant that they needed both hands to build the wall because they were doing the brick formation. And so they couldn't hold a weapon in hand, but they had one on their side. And then you had people who lost sleep at night trying to stay up to protect the walls. And that, And and what happened is they provided comfort to do what God wanted them to do. I made light of a Christian song a few sermons back to make a point. And it wasn't quite fair to the song, as Ebony Sparks pointed out to me. Yeah. So I want to bring it back to do it some justice. I kind of made light of the song, what God has for me, it is for me. And, and I pointed out the selfish faith it seemed to put out there. But the song is actually saying that the burden or hardship or struggle to be who and where God has me and put on me is part of God's calling for me. The hardship, the burden, the struggle with all that makes living hard with sin, with the outside voices, with the darkness, with the problems at home, at work, at church, in your relationships, in your marriage, it is for you. It is allowed by God and the calling to be who and where you are. And you might need to not only tell yourself, but your family and your successful and comfortable Christian friends who are not going through the exact things you are, that you can't take this away from me. You can't force me to leave it because according to the faith, to the Bible, to what my godly leadership at church has said and what God has done in my life, what God has for me, it is for me. Yes, the financial mess that I have to fight through. Yes, some of you have harder marriages than others. Yes, the unfair signalist part. Yes, the no seriously close friends thing. Yes, the temptations to be greedy. Yes, the family that is so hard to deal with. Yes, the kid that is just not as easy or as impressive as other people's kids. Yes, the church that struggles in so many ways. And, and yes, what God has for you, it is for you. And we need to speak that to our enemies and to ourselves. It means that we must, now this is crazy, like these workers on a wall with burden on the back and defense in one hand on the waist, be ready to fight off, to battle what will try to lie and make us leave, drawing us away from the struggles we face and God's call on us to redeem our world, love him, and love each other. Christianity is a crazy, backwards faith. We were called to say no to the easy way. And yes to the redeemed way. And a redeemed way may mean picking up stones and bricks and carrying them and having burdens and losing sleep, as these guys in the scripture say. Wouldn't you want the easy way? But God has called his people to a redeemed way. And sometimes that way is a burden that God has called you to be a part of. 
This is hard and difficult stuff. But that song is but a verse in the burdens God has called us to bear because what God has for you, like I said before about it, is in part for me too. Not to remove the burden. Get this. Not to remove you from the place and spot God has put you, but I am here as your brother and sister in the Lord to provide support, to bear with and bear some of your burdens. Now I want you to see what bearing the burden looks like from what we just read in verses 16 to the end of of the chapter. No one actually took away the hard work. No one actually took on the hard work someone else was doing. We put a lot of pressure on each other. No one's caring for me. You know what sometimes that's code word for? No one is taking my burden away. You're not making my Christianity easy. You're supposed to be my friend. Look at what burden bearing looks like. Sharing looks like. Each burden sharing by someone else is to create comfort of security, of an encouragement to what? To keep fighting, to keep working, to keep struggling, and that each person would keep fighting and working. And admit that some of those folk was, were especially called by Nehemiah to rally to the, where the most discouragement or where the most attack was happening. If we look at verses 19 through 23, what is he describing here? Nehemiah appointed officers and men from each tribe to play extra servant roles of defense by day and by night. In fact, those officers and protectors were so committed that verse 23 says this, read it with me. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who follow me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. These were sort of like the watchmen of Jerusalem, watching over the people and the work, watching over the work of God, watching over each other, bearing the burdens of each other. Now, I want to make a quick point here. We are all in some way watchmen over each other's lives. You should know what's going on. You should ask. You should be aware if your brother and sister are struggling, not to alleviate the burden but to make sure that they walk in faith through it, that they don't cast the burden off in a way that would create an unfaithful, uh, wrong view of who God is and who they are. We're all watchmen in some way that we make sure none of us are going AWOL on the Lord or what God has called us to fight and burden uh, through in life, encouraging each other by example, by word or prayer, of helping us remember the Lord's goodness, of of hearing stories, of sharing stories, of of even crying with each other, just to keep them in the fight, having each other's back, riding with each other through hard times. But there's something more specific here. It's the officials. These are Nehemiah's special forces chosen by him to blow the trumpet for battle and to be ready to go soldier on somebody, gangster, right? Rolling in deep if someone is in trouble. In our church, we call them church officers, right? Elders and deacons, and and then we have some staff, and then we have lay leaders and all these kind of church leadership people. 
Where God has called some of us to not have a regular job but be full-time on staff or to be ordained or to, like some folk in this passage, to have a job outside of the church and be ordained as an officer in the church, all to answer the call of the trumpet, to listen to where the hurt and discouragement and temptation to go AWOL on God is or where someone has been afflicted by Satan under enemy attack that is breaking their spirits and souls and lives, that is killing their faith and bodies. The Bible says these special forces, these special servants were ready to fight. Nehemiah says it this way in verse 13 through 14. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Call on the people of God. If you are discouraged, cry out to your leaders if and when you want to give up or the burden has become faith-breaking or community-breaking or where you want to leave your post or or leave your marriage or, or leave your purity or leave your budget or leave your passion for God or if added attacking burden comes with your wall halfway up, blow the trumpet for each other, for your leaders and the body of Jesus is called to respond and rally. It means we're going to lose sleep because we're in this community together. Somebody might call you at the... It always happens. They're going to call you at the most inconvenient time where you're going to have to keep working and have your burden in one hand and their protection in another. That's what the faith is about. Give you a recent example. Kristen Heinzel, who's a single lady and teacher in our congregation, has a friend who took on caring for the infant baby of a relative. This friend took a relative kid because a relative is unfit for her child right now. Instead of letting the child go to DSS or go to foster care, and then DSS refused to give her extra money to care for baby, for the baby. And these folk are struggling to provide for their own family. And the husband of this family says, we will not let this baby go to DSS, taking the burden of a baby and a new mouth on, and their youngest child is 13 years old. So Kristen, hearing about this, sent an email out to the deacons and elders for this issue, and the trumpet blew. And I was just blessed to see the emails. I mean, look, it started a rally, like DMI is talking about, a rally of love and generosity. And get this, one of the biggest, biggest givers to this situation were the Hurleys. The Hurleys, yes. The couple with the triplets that spent 80 plus days in IC in the NICU due to extreme complications caused by premature birth, whom the officers blew the horn on, and we have been praying for them and in there. And just so you know, this Christian, a single woman, could not move herself and had a pastoral assistant and official of the church, Charles McKnight, blow the trumpet on her cry for help to help her move into her second story apartment six months ago. I didn't make this up. This is a real story of us building the wall and God calling us to bear each other's burden. 
But this story, like one of our passage, has a hook, though. It has a hook. You see, when DSS called this family with little money or resources of their own, said, we can't help you. With no car seat, no formula, no baby clothes. After he cleared no help for you, the father in the family, burdened by so much already for what I've heard, said out loud, God will provide. God will provide. We don't say that a lot. We think it up here. But oftentimes we don't live it. God will provide. Look at verses four, verse, verse four with me. When they're being taunted, the, the Israelites said this, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And then in verse nine, look with me. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. And then in verse 20, listen to this. Verse 20. In the place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Now get this, rally to us there with your spears and swords and shields. Our God will fight for us. Simply put, we must let our battle, the battle with our struggles, be the Lord's. And the Lord fighting for us. I hope it is clear from what we read in verse 5 along with the other verses, but this is, this is not the work of the people. This was not Nehemiah's special project. The wall was God's work. Now, there is some parallel authority going here I want to mention. I mentioned earlier that Samuel and Tobiah were stretching the truth and basically drumming up fair base on a lie because they didn't have the necessary authority or power to go against the king's desire that Nehemiah had all the paperwork and zoning rights from the kings. To declare war on Nehemiah was to declare war on the king. But to declare war and be an enemy or discourager of God's people is to declare war and come against and lie on and discredit and thumb your nose and buck up and bow up against God himself. Because the wall and the work of wall represented the relationship of God with his people and the faith. And God asked for this wall. And Nehemiah and the people of God, as verse 6 says, had a mind to do the work and then turn the enemies, according to verse 15, when they knew that God's people knew, that their God knew, and knew that God's people had a mind made up on the fact that this was God's work, God's wall, and finally God's word, of which they had no authority over, in him, over him, that they got frustrated and God's people got encouraged. Because God's people knew. They remembered. They were driven by the fact that this was God's wall and this is God's world. In fact, they said this. Let's read it again, verse 5. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. When people come against or dissuade or give bad theology or bad spiritual direction against what God has said about himself and God's work and will, you speak against God and he is angry. And when he gets angry, the battle becomes his. We walk 
We stay. We fight against sin. We, we take up arms spiritually. Why? Israel did not take up arms because they beat, thought they beat the opposing forces. They fought because they were convinced and wanted the opposing forces to know that they were willing and able to pray and fight for each other and bear each other's burdens because God would give them the victory that God had promised that since this was his work, they could have courage to fight. If they didn't believe God would fight for them and protect them and take out their enemies using some of their makeshift weapons, they would have gone back home. We battle. We stand. We bear burdens. We carry missiles in one hand and burdens in another because we are doing God's work because God is the one who fights the battle. Not only because we're doing God's work, but finally because we are God's work. God's not only got your back. This is about God, this is about God getting you. Look at verse 20 one more time. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Did you hear that? He will fight for you. The whole reason for the wall and return from exile so God could have his people. So God would be with his people. So that God could ride through this life with his people, knowing him and experiencing his love. And so he could die for their sins. You and I are a ride and die people of God. We resist everything we got that's against us and, each, and, and for each other to the point of bloodshed is a good aiming point according to the Bible. Fighting against lies and sins and carrying burdens and still working for truth and redemption. We are and should live like a ride and die people because you have a ride or die Lord who is there for you to have you, to keep you, to make you his. Look at verse 23. Nehemiah speaking, no, neither I nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me. None of us took our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. Nehemiah has been referred to in this text as the Lord. The effect that he was the first and effective example of faith and protection for God's people. God's people did it because he did it first, right? But Jesus was more than an example. Jesus, our Lord, took a ride in human skin. Enduring all the mess of the human temptation, discouragement, Satan attack, he rode with us. And the Bible says he died for us. And now as a risen Lord, like the people could with Nehemiah, when things get tough and cloudy and tempting to give in and stop believing God or stopping believing that God has you, that you have the right and ability for those called to be Jesus's to sound the trumpet of your faith. To say, Lord, I'm low over here. Oh, Lord, they're low over here. Oh, Lord Jesus, have you for, God, have you forgotten us? 
And you will see that Jesus, just like Nehemiah did, will send through all the means necessary and all the means of his disposal as king and Lord and Savior to get you and keep you and comfort you. Because he is the ride and die Lord of a ride and die people who are in a ride or die Our Lord has sent his grace when our walls are halfway and things are thin and the outside voices are heavy. He's a ride or die Lord. 